18th of Feb for us and 17th of Feb for one part of the world. Right? Even I think most parts of US is still almost still at the why is it is important is not important. <laughs> it's on the seventeenth day of the second month. Something happened. It changed history forever. Anybody? Got a clue? Seventeenth day of the second month, something happened. That was when the flood started, Noah's flood. God opened up the heavens. Okay? It's judgment only for the wicked. Okay? But it is life for the righteous. It's a vindication for the righteous. So we, we, we don't have to be scared when God does do something. <laughs> it's a father. Even as he spanks with one hand, he hugs with the other. Okay, especially when you have babies, you will know that the first time you smack your baby, it looks shocked and they run to you. When you grow older, they run from you. But when you were small, you the babies <laughs> run to the parents. Okay, when you discipline them and stay that way with God, when he disciplines you, run to him. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Bow all, Lord, we we just thank you for loving us. Because, Lord, your word says you loved us first. When we were literally good for nothing. There's nothing in us, Lord. Even now there is nothing in us. It's just your son in us. But you loved us. And we just want to thank you for that love, Lord. And you keep loving us. And you will never stop loving us. You have loved us, as your word says, with an everlasting love. And you draw us to yourself because of that love, Lord. Help us, Lord, to love like you, with your love. The way your son loved you when you walked in the flesh. Help us to love that way, Lord. This morning we come, we surrender ourselves. The churches, our church, all our churches, all the ministries, that tuned in with us, everyone who's listening, where they may be visible or they may be invisible. They may have logged in visible or hundreds and thousands of them logged in incognito because of security reasons. But it doesn't matter. You see them. We don't see them. You see them. You know them by name. You know exactly where their dwelling place is. Nothing is hidden from your eyes. And your eyes are searching the whole earth for someone, anyone whose heart is stayed on you. For somebody, today may be the day of deliverance, the day of healing, the day they are set free. And I bring to your remembrance your word, Lord. Psalm 107 verse 20. You send forth your word and heal them of their infirmities. Heal, Lord. Release your word into thy hands, Spirit of God. Speak to us this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Sammy, you have a sound chair, okay? <laughs> we are back in Judges 3. And we did till verse 11. Remember, the first judge God raised of was Othniel. The people cried. They were, God handed them over into the hands of their enemies for eight years. And only when they were desperate, they started crying. And sometimes we will ask God, why are you not answering me? God says, in my ears, you're not desperate yet. Okay, so when they were desperate, God sent Othniel. He delivered them and they had peace for 40 years. Okay, so what does that mean? That means they could have had peace all their life, but eight years was lived in bondage to sin. Eight years was waste. That years were just gone serving the devil, serving the flesh, serving powers of darkness. God says you don't have to. Okay? But remember, these are all types. All the deliverers are types, just weak types, symbols. The ultimate deliverer is Christ Jesus. So we turn to Judges chapter 3. It's a gory chapter because of the way that judge kills the enemy, Eglon. We will not come to that part today, but we'll just read from verse 12 and uh, till probably verse 16 and leave the rest for tomorrow. The children of Israel did again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Sami, the reason is that all those years in the beginning when I ministered, there was no vibration because there was no no speakers. I ministered in the underground church without a microphone, okay? But now we are over the ground. We have liberty. When there is a little disturbance, it catches my ear. That's the only reason, okay? Because we do not want disturbance that they should be able to hear, everybody should be able to hear without any issues. So the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. The judge is gone. Judge is gone. Okay, so the minute we stop judging ourselves, this minute we stop listening to the word of God, the minute the spirit of God leaves the ministry of the word, conviction stops. Okay, because there are churches all around the world. Every week they are preaching. But when the spirit goes, conviction goes. Okay, the word in itself cannot bring conviction. It is the spirit who brings conviction. Okay, the spirit brings conviction. And that's why all the warnings we keep saying is connected with the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Okay, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is primarily conviction goes. And you're no longer convicted. You're not, no longer bothered. Okay, so remember when the spirit goes. The judge goes. Children of again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because he had done evil in the sight of the Lord. They had done. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now it's increased from 8 to 18, okay? 
But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. You can go to 17 also, if I'm right. It gives you something. And he brought, yeah, and he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Okay, now God is not fat shaming. He's, <laughs> he doesn't do that, but he will tell you, of course, not to put on weight because it doesn't help you. It is, can cut your life short early. But here it is spiritual, okay? You have to read it with the eyes of the spirit, otherwise we'll miss it and we'll read it as a, as I read storybooks when I was young and also much older. It was all fiction. If I had known these stories were in the Bible, I probably would have read them when they were young. Instead, I was sitting and reading Mahabharata and Ramayana because they were fun. Without realizing there was life in the Bible, they had such interesting stories. You wouldn't believe I grew up without knowing a single story from the Bible, except about Jesus, his death, which of course was put across in very dull ways with no spirit in it. Other than that, I knew nothing of the Bible. You wouldn't believe. I didn't know Genesis. I didn't know Abraham. I didn't know Noah. I didn't know anybody. Anybody. It's strange, right? I'm standing behind the pulpit and preaching. The fact is that I did not know any of these characters probably till I was 18. And I grew up in a Christian home. Okay, that is, that's why God has mercy. I believe God will have especially mercy on U.S. You know why? Because there is a generation U.S. 40 and below who do not know Christ. Because they have never been churched. Huge chunk of the population have never been to church. They never heard the gospel. God will have mercy on them. God will have mercy on them. They have never heard truth. They have never heard the gospel. They have never been churched. So God will is moving. It's already moving. Okay. So they are there, 8 to 18. They suddenly moved. Okay. And God handed them over. It is God who strengthened. If you look over, the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab. When we sin, God will take his hand off. We'll come to that later. What happens if you go to verse 14? They end up serving the king. The children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Meaning they were enslaved. When you serve something or you're enslaved by something, you need to realize you have no capacity to free yourself. You need deliverance. That's why God raises up a deliverer. That's why... When we minister to people, especially one-on-one, we look at what is the cause, what is what, what they are going through. Is it just sins? Is it his wounds? Or is it his oppression? If it is sin, sins need forgiveness. Wounds need healing. But if they are enslaved, they need deliverance. You can't blame them. They need deliverance. But you have to pray. They will come to the point where they are ready for deliverance. Because you cannot deliver somebody who is still not ready for deliverance. 
That is why 8 has gone to 18 years. Even if they were looking at their time frame, they could have looked back and said, our father's God delivered on the 8th year. Let us cry out louder. No, another 10 years. Because they were still not ready. They were still not ready. So deliverance is not doesn't just happen like that. Doesn't happen like that. Deliverance. Okay, you have to be so desperate. You have to come to that point. Because what are they doing? They are enslaved. But what does enslaved mean? Serving mean? They have no capacity now to deliver them. So God has to raise up a deliverer. Has to raise up a deliverer. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 13. Now was teaching in one of the synagogues on Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years. And was bent over. That's enough. And could no way raise herself up. What does it mean? She could no way bend down. Could no way raise herself up. It's not possible. She's bent down. She's enslaved. Okay. And if you go to verse 12 and 13. When Jesus saw her, he called out her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Okay. So she's been going to the synagogue all her years. But she could not be delivered because they did not have the power to deliver her. Though they are preaching from the same word Jesus will use. No power to deliver. Because they don't have the spirit. They have only the letter of the law which kills. The spirit brings life. And Jesus when he enters, he brings life. And that is what we always have to pray for. Lord, let my ministry bring death to the enemy and life to your people. We don't want to bring death. We don't want to bring death. Okay? Death to the enemy and life to your people. That's Lord. we have been called. Okay, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Woman, you are loosed from 18 years. And Jesus sets you free. And that's the same thing we see. You know, The Lord strengthened. Judges 3.12 says he strengthened. Fundamental principles we need to understand. Why we teach all the time is because once you have understood your teaching, your deliverance becomes very easy. Your healing becomes very easy. Your liberty, suddenly you realize, is in your own hands. It's in your own hands. You, know? you don't have to depend on somebody, especially 10,000 miles away to deliver you, though God uses that means. You yourself become a channel of blessing to others. That's God's, God's primary intention. He sowed his son on the cross in Calvary. He raised him up. On the day of Pentecost, it was multiplied, 120, and it just goes on like that now. They have been set free. They are going and setting others free, others free. It, it's, it's like you throw a, a stone in the middle of a lake. Then you watch a few hours later, the ripples reaches the shore. And that's what is said. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It goes, okay? It's, it's a gospel of liberty. But when we, when we do evil, what happens is the enemy's hands are strengthened. Enemy's hands are strengthened. But remember, unless the Lord hands us over, the enemy cannot touch us. Because God has put a hedge around his children who walk in obedience. Okay? We are not asked to be perfect. We are asked to be blameless in proportion to the knowledge we have received. Only God is perfect. 
but we can be perfect or blameless to the in proportion to the knowledge and the power we have. When you look at a one-year-old child, and you can look at a child and say the child is perfect. Doesn't have the maturity of an older person. Okay? That's what we are talking about. So we need to understand. God puts a hedge around his people. In Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, this is what God tells about this man. And Satan tells about the same man. <clears throat> the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does God, Job, fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household? He said, You put a hedge around. You put a hedge around. He said, If the hedge wasn't there, I would have gone after him. But I cannot go after him because you could have, you could have put a divine fencing around him. I cannot do anything. Okay, and God's testimony and what God does to protect his children and what the enemy's testimony about both the man and about the God. About the man, he's saying, oh, he's doing all this because he's profiting out of it. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't be serving you. What is the point of integrity? You take it all and see if you won't curse you. And actually, he's got a spokesperson in his own house, which is the wife. Why are you holding on to the integrity of your heart? Okay, as long as she was prospering, she had no issues. But as soon as the prosperity gospel failed in the husband's life, she turned around and says, curse him and die. Okay. Okay. But the Bible says, when we break the hedge, there are two ways hedge can be. When God takes the hedge away, it is to test us. For the purification of our faith and for our promotion. When God takes it. Okay, understand that. That's why he will say earlier, my knowledge about you was hearsay. We say, we say that in the court of evidence, hearsay. But now my eyes have seen you. I have experienced who you are. Much of the knowledge within the body of Christ is hearsay. And even us, we carry along. And hearsay, as long as it is true to the word of God, is still fine. But it's still not experiential. Still not experiential. And Job knows that. In Job 23 verse 10, this is what he says. He knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So when God removes the hedge of a person who is walking in obedience, it is to test us. But when the testing is over, we will come out purer and better and stronger than before. Understand what God does. On the other hand, if we do something that is wrong, Ecclesiastic chapter 10 and verse 8. 10 and verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall or a hedge or a fence which God has made will be bitten by a serpent. Okay, He said, don't break the hedge. I have put these walls around you. Ten commandments are walls. Protective hedges, God's word, his laws are hedges. He puts it, he says, stay within that boundary, stay. And when you, when you are transgressing, immediately run to my son, confess, plead the blood, and the wall is fixed up again. The wall is fixed up again. Walk that way, he says. Okay, so please remember, when they did evil, the hand of the enemy was strengthened. They broke the hedge God had put in. There was a man 
called Othniel. He had judged them for 40 years. They lived under his judgment. They obeyed the Lord. And you know what? They were protected from the enemy. When judgment stopped, they started transgressing. The hedge was broken and the serpent started biting. Only problem, the serpent came in the form of a man called Iglon. In verse 12 and 13, you will see they gather together. This is Judges 3, 12 and 13. Okay, the children of, again, so the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel. And if you look at verse 13, who did he do? He gathered to himself people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated. So you have Moab, Ammon and Amalek. You know what? Flesh has come together. Who are Ammon and uh, Moab? They are the sons of Lot through incest when flesh had grown taken over. The father was made drunk. So the father is drunk. His flesh is strong. The daughter says there are no men over here. So each daughter take turn, sleep with the father and through incest these two boys are born. Ammon, Amnon and uh, Moab. Okay, so their generation. So they are pictures of the flesh. And Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Another man, the man who sold his birthright for what? For food. So two pictures are brought over there. Wine, food, and sex. Illicit. Okay. Three pictures of the flesh. And these three have become nations. And these three have come together. And they defeat the people of God. Flesh has taken over. Okay. Now, we know Ephesians, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.17 says the flesh contends against the spirit and the spirit contends against the flesh. The, fl- the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to each other, but in their case, it is not contending. Flesh has overcome spirit. It has enslaved them and the one who is ruling over them, the king that is ruling over them, he is Eglon. And verse 17 describes him. Okay? Why does it say, and Eglon was a very fat man? So it's not fat shaming, it's talking about the nature. The flesh is absolutely in control. And the spirit is not able, able to even bring forth a squeak. The spirit has no control. The flesh has taken over completely. Eglon, the king of Moab, is a big fat man ruling over them. Meaning, flesh has taken over completely. Understand God's principles. Okay? Moab may be much worse than Israel, but God leaves the world alone. The world has only one message from God. Repent. For judgment is near. And they don't need more than one message. 40 days. Jonah has only given a one line message. What is that? Repent. In 40 days, you will be no more. Only one message. 40 days. Every 50 years is a jubilee. The year of God's freedom. You put 40 into 50, you get 2,000 years. Only one message to the world. 2,000 years are almost up. Repent and you will be no more. Only one message. But to the world, it is different. But to his children, God's message is different. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Okay. So Israel is being chastened 
by God. And the rod of God's discipline is the king of Moab. Three nations which have come under Eglon and that is the rod of God's discipline. And he will hold that stick down on you until you are ready. 18 years is the second time. Okay, he won't take the hand off the hand of the Lord. He will not take it off his children. Okay, hand. That's what David knows. Where can I flee from you? He's not talking about the devil. He's talking about God. He's a child of God. He says, I can't flee from you. Your hand is so hard on me. He says, I will not let go of you. I want to, what he calls, smack the daylights out of you until you come to your senses and come back. You are my child and I have loved you with an everlasting love. So God leaves the world alone. But God doesn't leave his children alone. He does not leave his children at all because then he becomes an illegitimate father and we become illegitimate children. He says, no, I am not illegitimate. You may think whatever you want, but I am legit. I am legit. Okay. So remember when God judges, it is to destroy our flesh. In first Corinthians chapter five and verse five, there was a situation in the Corinthian church, which was not being handled. So Paul's direction through the Holy Spirit is this deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's hand him over. And so many people get, not get saved, make peace with God in the last stages of their lives in the ICU. Dying of cancer, HIV, whatever. They make their peace with God, they repent and they die and they go. He hands their body over to Satan. The body over to Satan. For what? For the destruction of the flesh. Please remember the body and the flesh are two different entities. But the flesh is in the body. Two different entities. We have two words in English. One is body. The other is the spiritual part that causes us to sin, which is flesh. In Hindi, you have two different terms. One is sharir and the other is deh. In Malayalam, you have two different words. One is shariram. The other is jadam. So we have different words, but some languages don't have a word for flesh, so they will confuse. It has the same word for both flesh and body, and they get confused. Okay, But when the Bible is using the term flesh, it can also mean meat. It also can mean that spiritual part of me, the fallen nature that came into power when Adam and Eve sinned. And God will destroy flesh. No flesh will boast before God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we have these pictures in the Bible of how God does it. What is God doing? He's destroying the flesh. And in the Old Testament, we have these pictures. And uh, Otniel, Ehud, Shamgar, all these pictures from the time of Moses onwards, the first deliverer, Moses onwards. These are all pictures of Christ Jesus, types of Christ Jesus. So that's why we study the Old Testament to understand how does God work in our times. In Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, the Bible says there, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration or God breathed is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why scripture is given. So why do we study a man called Ehud, who kills a fat king called Iglon, a gory thing where he puts his sword in and his whole insides come out and then he locks the door and escape. Why do you want to study there? God is just saying, don't look at that as history. This is not history for you. These are spiritual lessons. Scripture, you have to understand what happens to God's people when they 
fall in the flesh and go in the way of sin, what takes over them, who rules over them, and when it becomes severe, you have this flesh, overpowering flesh, controlling the life of a believer, and then you are in bondage for 8 years, 10 years, 12 years, 18 years. And then you need deliverance. There was a woman bent over, and she could no way lift herself up. You need a deliverer. You need a, you need to cry out. So the Bible says, Israel cried out and he gave them a deliverer. God says, when you are tired of your flesh, tired of your flesh, miserable, then you will cry out. Then you will cry out. Like Paul was. If you look at Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 24 and then 25, Paul was miserable. I find the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law working in my members, warring against the law of mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver? See, he uses the word, who will deliver me? He says, you know what? In my mind, I know the law. The law is fantastic, but you know, I have no power to do it. The flesh is controlling me. This is Paul, Apostle Paul. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, but I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will deliver me? Christ Jesus. So every deliverer in the Old Testament is just a feigned reflection of Jesus. Okay, they're all pointing to Jesus who were the ultimate deliverer will come. But also when you read scripture, please understand this. Sometimes we do not understand God's ways. They are too deep for us. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy 2.9 and then to Psalm 36, verse 6. 2.9. Yeah, 2.9. Not 29, 2.9. 2.9. 29.29 is a good scripture. Secret things belong to God. 2.9. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as possession. When Israel is going through the wilderness, he gave him a command, don't harass Moab, but he will use Moab to harass Israel. You will not understand his ways. He will tell you, don't fight with flesh and blood, but he will allow flesh and blood to fight with you. Understand that. The test is different. Do not fight flesh and blood. You are fighting powers of darkness. But he doesn't say that to flesh and blood. He will strengthen their hand to fight you. And you wonder what is happening. God says, it's a test for you, not for them. They are going through Moab. And he tells Israel, you will not harass Moab. When Israel does sin, he hands them into the hands of Moab. He does not tell Moab the same thing, don't harass Israel. Okay, so who can? That's why Psalm 36, the psalmist says, verse 6, 36, 6, verse 6, Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep, too deep. Oh Lord, you preserve man. Your judgments are too deep. Too deep to understand me. Who can understand? Because when you're going through this, you will never understand it. That's why Job, the man with integrity, blameless, couldn't understand what he's going through. Then God, God finally speaks to him. He says, I'm so sorry. 
I'm sorry, I didn't know your judgments are too deep. We don't understand much of what is happening in our lives until we see the finished product in heaven. Then you will say, Lord, all your ways are right and perfect. Therefore, in spite of everything that is happening to an individual, a Christian, a family, a church, or a Christian nation, know this. God is in absolute control of every detail of our life. That's what he means by I will not even a hair from your head drops, falls without his father. It also means he is absolutely involved in every detail of our life because he is a father. Is absolutely involved in every detail of our life. So we, we, we will not understand sometimes, but understand this when it comes to life and death. A righteous man may live long because the hand of the Lord is upon him and he's using him as a vessel. A righteous man may die young because the work of the Lord in his life is finished and God takes him early before he falls in the flesh. A wicked man may live long because the power of the enemy is empowering him and the enemy is using him. A wicked man may die young because the hand of the Lord is against him and cuts him off like the sons of Judah. So we do not see because those things are too deep for us. Many wicked people live long lives. You know why? Because they're empowered by Satan who keeps them from disease. Keeps them from disease. But God also allows them to run their full course and then cuts them out. He cuts them out and sends them. Okay, so we do not see life and death. These things are too deep for us. So don't make judgments. Don't make judgments. Just leave it to God. Because you have all these pictures in the Bible. Some people die young because they're too wicked for God and say, cut them out, like the sons of Judah. Okay, he had two sons, and one was correctly named in English. His name was Ur. Okay. So please understand, God is absolutely, totally involved in the lives of his children. But our problem is, we don't understand what is God interested in us? What is this triune God interested in us? Then only we will get the rest of things. If we don't understand the big picture of what God is interested in us, in a church, in a nation, if we get that, things start making sense. Romans 8.29, this is the Father. In Ephesians 5, for whom he foreknew, who is he? Father, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn. Everybody's in life, what is God's interest, the father's interest, we should become like his son. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. What is Jesus' interest? Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy without blame. What is the son's interest to make us holy, just like him? Second Corinthians 3 and verse 18. What is the Holy Spirit's intention? But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in one work, making their children like them. That's a big picture. And whatever it will take it, they will do it. And you cannot fight it. You just go with it. You cannot fight it. You cannot. The 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in the same work. You know what? What Satan told in the Garden of Eden was a half lie and a half truth. No, you will be like God. Okay. But only thing that is true. No, God doesn't want you to be like him. The fact is that God wants us to be like him. But he said, eat from, you ate from the wrong tree. You should have eaten from the tree of life. Instead, you ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. If you had eaten from the tree of life, you would have grown in wisdom. And grown in grace. And then you would have been innocent of evil. And excellent in what is good. Instead, he set you up. But he told the truth. He told the truth. What is that? You will be like me. Yes, you will be like me. That's the whole picture of redemption, salvation. He wants us to be like him. So understand, you get that picture, you will understand what deliverance is. Otherwise, we will think we are delivered to run back into the world. God says, no, you are delivered to become like me. I want to transform you. So when they cried, when they cried, the Bible says, God raised up a deliverer. And the ultimate deliverer is Jesus Christ, who will deliver us from the power of sin. Okay, when God raises up a deliverer, please remember the Spirit of God will start operating on him. Okay, Luke 4 and verse 18. This is the ultimate deliverer. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives. What does a deliverer do? He proclaims. Liberty to the captives. He has come to set the captives free. That is what the deliverer does. So God raises up a deliverer. So if he, every deliverer in the Bible is a type of Jesus Christ, then the power that is working in them is the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, nobody can deliver anything. And God raised up a deliverer. Verse 15. 2.15. Yeah, sorry, 3.15. And raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite. The first thing we have is an identity over there. He is Ehud. Ehud can possibly, I checked it out on one of the most reliable called Ebrahim etymology obligations, which they go into the roots of Hebrew, this thing. I checked it out. It can have two possible meanings. One is joined with, and the other is he praises. So, when God has to raise up a deliverer for them, he has to be somebody who is joined with God in worship. So, what is he looking for? He looked for somebody in their midst who was worshipping God. In the midst of your bondage. Understand that. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your problem, you worship God. Only that man can set the others free. So, there were hundreds, probably Thousands of captives in the prison in Philippi. But God found two people in the midst of their chains who would worship him and use them to set all the others free. So the first question God is asking us is today, in the midst of the oppression you face, the midst of the hostility you face, do you still worship God? You could be the deliverer. God could raise up. 
That's what the Bible says. God's eyes are ranging to and fro on the whole earth to see whose heart is stayed on him. How do you know your heart is stayed on him? When you wake up in your morning, you still worship him. Irrespective of how the previous day was or how this day would be, how tomorrow would be, your worship never stops because you know fundamentally one truth. Your worship is not determined by your circumstances. Your worship is determined by who he is. So God looked for a deliverer. He found a worshiper. And his name was Yehud. Ultimately, our worship will define who we are. Not our work. Not our work. Not our walk. It's our worship. Because if we don't have worship, we will not have a walk. If we don't worship God, we cannot walk with him. Cannot walk with him. Even the very son of a king, when he enters into the court, bends his knee before the king. He worships his king, though he's his father. Then the king may take his hand and walk with him. If you haven't worshipped God, you cannot walk with him. If you haven't walked with him and known his ways, you cannot work with him. That's why Hebrews 11 puts these three people together. First is Abel, who worships God. Second is Enoch, who walks with God. And third is Noah, the first man who does a work for God. So we have to worship. You cannot take it away. You cannot take it away. There are no shortcuts in God's kingdom. The order is that. And his own very son, early in the morning, even when it is still dark, he will go to a solitary place and he begins his day in worshipping his own father. His father who calls him my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, his father calls him my Lord. And his father says, you are equal to me. Yet the son worships the father and begins his walk with the father and does the work of the father. God says, there is no other way. When I look for a deliverer in Israel, I look for a man who has joined me in worship. And the Bible says, he was a Benjamite. That's what we don't understand God's ways. We don't understand. The first one he picked up was from the tribe of Judah, the most powerful tribe. Second one he picked was from the weakest tribe. Hmm? So there's no particular pattern. Oh, now he's going to pick the next one will be from Judah. He says, no. Strong one, no. Next one will be a very weak one. God is not dependent upon man's strength or man's numbers. God is not dependent. Man, God is only dependent upon man. Is his heart stayed on me? Can I trust him? That's all God asks. We are not picked because we are strong. We are picked because we are weak. That's all what Paul realizes. You know what? The weaker I am, and if I lean on God, the stronger I get. Stronger I get. The weaker I am, the stronger I can be. The stronger that I am, the less God will use me. The more I have with me, the less God is able to do. The less I have with me, the more. So math, everything comes into that. So why are most people not picked or used by God? Simply because they are too strong in themselves. So if ever God picks up a strong man, we know from Bible, he first makes him weak, then uses him. Moses was a strong man. Jacob was a strong man. But these were people who were chosen from their mother's womb. But they turned out to be strong in their flesh, in their self-will. So what did God do? He put them in the school of humbling. The best school of humbling to put a man is to take all his resources away and put him in his father-in-law's house and make him work for his father-in-law. Okay, Depending upon how strong you are. If you're as strong as Jacob, 20 years. If you're as strong as Moses, 40 years. No. 
where you have no say. The reason why Jacob was 20 and Moses was 40 is because it's a joke, okay? Because Moses, Jacob had two wives. And Moses had only one. So what two wives could do in 20 years, one wife did, took 40 years. Okay? They were literally gambling with Jacob. The two wives, they are sisters. One is standing with her. My son has brought mandrakes. So today I am buying my husband from you for tonight. The fellow is like a, this thing. They're gambling. Imagine that plight of that man. He has humbled and humbled and humbled and humbled and humbled. For all said and then Moses had a good father-in-law. Jacob didn't even that. So imagine what it took to humble Jacob. He needed a father-in-law like Laban, a crook, and two wives like Rachel and Leah, and two concubines on top of that. And ten sons. Who are crooks? The man is humble. <laughs> by the time that man finishes his race, you know, by the time that man finishes his race, he has overtaken his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. So who's, who can understand God's ways? Okay. So God picks, looks for weak people whom he can use. Next thing we find in verse 15 is, no, raised up a deliverer for them, a son of Gera, a Benjamite. So he picked up a worshiper, he picked up from a weak tribe, and he picked a left-handed man. Which is interesting, you need to understand scripture. When Benjamin was born, his mother was dying. So in her grief, she named him Benoni, son of my grief. The father immediately changed the name because he knows names can bring your destiny. So he called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. The son of the right hand is left-handed. Okay? The son of the right hand is left-handed. That's why these things are put over there. The son of the right hand is left-handed. Why? God is making it very clear. It is not your right hand brings that deliverance. It's my right hand. So it doesn't matter whether you are right hand or left hand. If my right hand is not upon you, you're not going to do anything for me. You cannot do anything. It is not your talents, your gifts, your qualities that define your success when you work for God. It is whether my hand is upon you or not. If you turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 80 and verse 17, and then 44 and verse 3, 80, 80 and 17. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Man of your right hand. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. Let your right hand be upon the man you have picked. God's right hand. So it doesn't matter if I'm left-handed if God's right hand is upon me. Psalm 44 and verse 3. For they did not get, gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, the light of your countenance, because you favored them. Just not that. Just not that. It was his right hand. It was his arm. It his countenance. Okay. So it is a very, very difficult thing. It's a very, very difficult thing, especially for people who have done things their way. Strong-willed people. No, when I talk to, I have my own conversations with the people in the church. I talk to young mothers, to some young mothers. I tell them, you know what, your baby, 
is very strong-willed. Unlike other babies. Know that all babies are not the same. Your baby is very strong-willed. So you have to start early to be firm with your baby. Firm with your will is good. To have a strong will is good. Bend it towards God. But the child doesn't know God. So bend the will of the child to the will of the parent. Bend it to obey and not to rebel. Strong will is good. But when it's bent to obedience, it will run long. But if you leave it alone, they become strong-willed in the other way. And Samson was strong-willed in disobedience. He had a strong will because he was born with a strong will with purpose of God, but was bent in the wrong way. The Bible says he wouldn't listen to his parents when he was a young man. You know, so will is good. Will is not a bad thing. You know, so the problem is we have to see how we handle no, because a lot of people are very strong-willed. They have done things their way. They have been successful that way. And they will not give up their way. Though God's way is waiting there them to take them to heights which they have never even imagined. But they will not. I want your dream my way. And they have this song, I did it my way. But ultimately, if you do it your way, you will end up as a disaster. If you try to serve the living God. If you serve the world, still you will end up as a disaster. God will have only his way. So when the Son of Man comes, the Son of God comes, he says, I have come to do your will, O God. In the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do your will, O God. In this book is written the will of God. And we bend our will to the will of God and says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And God says, you know what? I can. Otherwise, flesh will take over. Okay? Flesh will take over. So understand this. God is not a respecter of persons. Othaniel is from the tribe of Judah. The most powerful. And he comes from the most well-known family. The house of Caleb. Caleb's brother's son married to Caleb's only daughter. So he's got pedigree. He's got pedigree. Got pedigree. Okay, that's what everybody looks on. They want Khandan, they want to look blue blood, royal blood, all that. So, Othniel has got pedigree. Yehud has no pedigree. Benjamite, smallest clan, small tribe, no? So it does not matter. But if you look at it, okay, I can put this on, you can put that off. What happens is, uh, yeah, put that AC off. It might be blowing right into people's faces, yeah. Othniel brought, Othniel brought what you call, uh, rest for Israel for how many years? No, Othniel, 40. Yehud brought it for? 8 years. See, the great man brought rest for 40 years. The poor man brought rest for 80 years. So God is not a respecter of that either. Okay. So he himself is marked by weakness. He's left-handed. Understand left-handed. If you go over there, left-handed, the Hebrew phrase actually seems to suggest that his right hand was withered. Or not fully functional. Okay. So, 
if you are left-handed in a right-handed kingdom, the right hand is what everybody looks, every warrior is right-handed. You are left-handed in a right-handed kingdom. On top of that, your right hand is not fully usable. Then you are of no use. What are you, how can you use for war? Can you hold a sword and a shield? No. So he's not picked for his strength. He's picked specifically for his weakness. Okay. When everyone was right-handed, he's left-handed. And even those who were left-handed could had use of both hands. The Bible seems to suggest he did not have full capacity of using his left hand. But the question is this. Therefore, can we turn our weaknesses into strength? Okay, I am left-handed. I have an issue. I am left-handed. And my right hand is not functional. Can I turn? Okay, if you look at some of the greatest hymns which you sing, was written by a blind lady. Yeah, Fanny Crosby. was a blind lady. Okay, Bartimaeus could not see, but he could hear. And usually blind people hear better than us. But it's not that they just hear, they train themselves. Train them. And some of those movies we have seen where he wins is they practice to fight with their eyes tied. Basically, when your eyes are tied, you have to operate on the other senses. Okay? So God is saying, okay, you have a disability. Let us put it across a disability. But have you used your ability to the best possible? Did you train yourself? Train yourself. See, that's the difference between talent and discipline. The world looks for talent. God looks for discipline. Ultimately, if you discipline yourself with your disability, you will become better and better and sometimes you will even overshoot the gifted and the talented. That's the moral of the story of the hare and the tortoise. It's discipline that matters in the kingdom of God. It's not talent. It's not talent. Simple example, two prototypes God gives in his picture, two deliverers. One was talented and gifted, prophesied, separated from birth. His name was Samson. And there was another one, which was God, Samuel. Samuel was not prophesied. There was no prophecy over him. He was not gifted or anything. Only he had a disciplined mother. He had a disciplined mother, an anointed mother whose heart was turned to God and was fasting and praying for this child. The other one had to give all the instructions. She did not keep or we don't know what happened with those instructions. This one was given no instructions, but she kept the instructions. So one child grew up talented, ended up in the Philistine camp, blinded and died. The other one, all the days of his life, served God without failing. The difference was one was talented, the other was disciplined. Samson had everything going for him. Samuel had nothing going for him, literally nothing going for him. As a young child, the mother took him and the father took him and left him in the temple in the midst of iniquity. He had nobody to look up to, no role model, nothing. And he saw his mother and his father only once a year. He had everything going against him. He turned out to be the greatest. Samson had everything going for him. He turned out to be the worst. You know why? What matters is discipline, not talent. Talent is good. Talent can take you to the top. But only the character that comes out of discipline can keep you there. And that's God. That's what God is working. In First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 2, 12 and verse 2, 
This is what the word of God says about Benjamites. Armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow, they were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. Okay, if you look in another portion in the book of Judges, you have to go there. They could split a hair with their left hand, throwing the sling. So you're left-handed, but that's definitely, you're practicing with what God has given you. That's a simple thing. What has God given you? What has God given Peter? What has given God given Sammy? What has God given Dr. Richard? What has God given each one of us? So God says, what I have given you? Are you trying to be the best you can be with that? Are you working on it? It's a simple question God is asking. Are you working on it over and over and over and over and over and over and over that when the time and the hour comes, you know you will not miss. People will say Goliath was so big, David could not have missed. Not true. He practiced and he practiced and he practiced and he knew in the armor and the helmet there was only one crack that was on the forehead and he should not miss it. And it, he hit it right on the spot and he was practicing. Okay, that's what all God is talking about. And the Bible says, if you go back, so God says these are things that are there which in the Bible which you need to understand. Okay, judges. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Okay, king of Moab. We need to understand that. He was sent with tribute. Proverbs 16 and verse 13. Things, how those things happen in those days. 16 and verse 33. Sorry, not 13, 33. 1633. A lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Okay. Usually, lots are cast. Old days to pick somebody. And the last of the lots was just before the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the last time a lot is cast. Because Peter was a little impetuous. He still was not waiting for the Holy Spirit. They cast lots and picked the twelfth one. Okay. So what's happening over here is that they are casting lots. And the lot, I believe, fell on Ehud. Yehud is not the kind of person you would pick to take the tribute to a king. One, he's left-handed. Second, his right hand is not very functional. That's not the kind of person you want to send. But that's the person God has picked. You may cast a lot, but every decision is from the Lord. Okay, You may cast a lot. Okay, But every decision is from the Lord. When it is God's purpose and God's plan and God's time, man can cast any lot. But it will fall on God's man. It will not miss. It will not miss. It will fall on God's man. It doesn't matter who it is who cast the lot. And you are ashamed, woman, at a time like this to be drunk. My Lord, I am not drunk out of the heart, out of the sorrow of my heart. Okay. Whatever it is, let the Lord answer you. The lot fell from Elise's hand, hit the target. It was Samuel. It was Samuel was birthed. Decisions of God, because that was God's time, God's appointed time, and God's man. So it doesn't matter who cast the Lord, how it is cast. So we don't have to worry. All we have to do is prepare and wait. When the day and the hour come, when the lot is cast, the decision will be God. And if I am chosen, I will be chosen. I cannot force God's hands. And I should not force God's hands. I may end up like a Saul and not like a David. That's when you force God's hands. That's what the Bible is talking about. What is the fundamental principle? Men are only, note this, I write it in capitals in my book, men are only the agents of deliverance, not the source or the originators of it. 
I am only an agent of deliverance. I am not the source of deliverance. I have never saved a person. I have never healed a person. I have never delivered a person. But God has through me. I am only an agent of deliverance. Not the source of it. It's a very humbling thing. And it's a very sober thing to know. We are not the source. We are only channels. And we should sing that song, channels only. Blessed Master. That's all we are, channels. Channels only. Blessed Master. There's a story told about the ancient days when the Saudis came to Britain for the first time in their life to visit. And they were fascinated by the taps. The taps, they opened the taps, running water and everything came. They were so fascinated. So when they went there back, they ordered a whole set and took and fixed in the wall and opened and nothing was coming. <laughs> nothing was coming. It's an old story. I think it was a real story. Nothing was coming because it was not connected to the source. Okay? Okay. So remember, we are just taps. We are just taps. We are nothing. We are just steps. All God says, if you are not connected to me, nothing will come. You will not save anybody. You will not heal anybody. You will not deliver anybody. Okay, you will not. I am the source. And the Bible says in verse 16, if you go back to verse 16, I think it's going to be a Bible study today. Now, because we just looked at three verses so far. Now, Ehud made himself a dagger. Okay. Look at that word. It does not say Ehud bought. There are a lot of people who will run around to prophetic meeting, to prophecy, to buy gifts. Buy gifts. You have to make yourself the person on whom the gift can come upon so that it can be used till the end of your life. Don't try to buy stuff. In India, of course, you can buy almost any certificate. And then you become a practitioner. <laughs> anything, anything can be bought. Anything can be bought. Right? So we need to ask ourselves, did you make? Are you made? Or did you buy? No? He made a dagger. He did not buy a dagger. Because he knows who he is. He knows his strength. He knows his weaknesses. So he has to make a dagger that meets his requirements. You cannot buy it. Cannot buy it. God bought us of the slave block using the blood and the life of his son. And then he's making us into vessels that are fit for his use. Since he made. He made. Mm-hmm. While others had given into their situation of slavery and were living in slavery, you see, he was working out a way out for deliverance. He was forging a weapon in secret. Question is, do you believe God has called you to serve him in any capacity? If so, what is the proof? <coughs> Excuse me. What is that you're forging? In secret, which only God and you know, which he can use when the day and the hour of deliverance comes. What is that you're forging? What is that you're forging? Simple God. He made, doesn't say he bought. Oh, time has come. The lot has fallen on me. Let me go quickly buy a dagger. No, he was preparing. He knew. 
It's not the lot fell and he went and bought iron and he takes time to make a dagger. He had made. And the time came. You know? And that's what God is talking about. Our whole life is a life of preparation when the hour comes. And even this whole life is a preparation for to reign with Jesus Christ in heaven. What are we doing? We are preparing ourselves to reign. That's what God was doing with Joseph. Preparing him to reign. And we need to see life as that. Because faith without works is dead. And the Bible says there very clearly. The Bible says that Ehud made himself a dagger. And it was double-edged. And a cubit in length. It was not a long sword. It was a short sword. A dagger. Okay, we call a dagger is a sh- small sh- sword. Okay, double-edged. It's a small one. He didn't make a big one. A double-edged sword. And he's practicing it with his left hand. He made a dagger and he's practicing it with his left hand. Because he knows sometimes you will get only one chance. One chance. One chance. In Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 and 16, Paul's advice to young pastors, young men of God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Simple. Imagine, it's coming Sunday. I suddenly call somebody from the congregation and says, come and speak for 10 minutes. <laughs> Just 10 minutes. It's not a long dagger, short dagger, 10 minutes. Just give you 10 minutes. Come speak, share what you have meditated, what God has put in your heart during this day, this week. It's not a long sword, it's a short sword. Would you? That's what God is saying. He's prepared. And this is what God is telling Timothy. Timothy, 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 who doesn't have to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idling, idle babble. Don't get distracted, Timothy. No? Okay? Ramba, your, your mouth, Timothy, is given over to the preaching of the word of God. So, don't waste words. Okay? Don't waste words. It's idle and profane babblings. The same mouth. You don't, you have not been given. You have been given two ears and two eyes, but only two nostrils, but only one mouth. You cannot preach the correct word of God and idle babblings at the same time. He says, be careful. Practice. Practice. Okay, practice. Because you will only get one chance. You get only one. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword. Sharper than any two. It's a two-edged sword. The word of God is two-edged sword. It's always, you always have to see whether the word of God, if coming out of your mouth is two-edged or single-edged. Then you will know it's the word of God or not. If it is two-edged, it cuts them and cuts you. If it is one-edged, it only cuts them. It doesn't cut you. The word of God is always two-edged. Okay, that's how you know you are a channel and you are not the originator. When you are the originator of the word, it only cuts others, it doesn't cut you. When God is the originated source of the word, it cuts you, when I said cuts, it's a two-edged sword. But it cuts to heal, not cuts to destroy. Okay, so the word of God is a two-edged sword. And a hood is preparing a two-edged dagger, a short sword. Like I said, 
Why? The sword is for the Gentiles. The sword is not for the Israelites. You see, when I was teaching in this college in those days with the night with the underground church, Dave in this college, because I had to have a job to stay in that nation, once in the roster, every lecturer would become that day the teacher on duty. It's called TOD. That means he stands in place of the principal. He does the principal's job, checking on the kids, the uniform, the toilets, to see they're not smoking there, everything. But one of the most profile job for the teacher on duty that day, which everybody was afraid of, they had to speak to the assembly for 10 minutes, the entire assembly, 500, 600 students. Everybody was petrified, but I waited for that. And I prepared for that 10 minutes more than my classes because I know this one opportunity I get to get all these students to speak to them about Christ without mentioning Christ. 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes. No. The Gentiles, you only get 10 minutes. You only get a short sword. But in that 10 minutes, maybe it's in your company, maybe it's in your distant place, God, somebody who obviously says, speak. The gospel can be wailed still doesn't lose its effect. The intention is the same. It's, I have shared this before. Finally, when it came to my final speech, I have to speak 10 minutes. On my final day, before leaving that institution, I had given the, I had given the resignation and I was leaving and I called for the final. I mean, I, I could, I'm not boasting. I could literally hear every time when a TOD was called, the people start sniggering, students would start talking. Every time, after the first time, every time my name was called, there was pin drop silence. And they would say, Sir James, Sir James is coming. When my final time came, I spoke to them about Aaron without mentioning Aaron. And I opened the book of Numbers and said, as I close, I want to pray over you. This is how God instructed his priest. This is how you should bless a nation. I see before me 600 people representing a nation. I'm going to read over you and bless you before I go. And when I finished, all of them came and I said, who is that priest and who is that God? I said, the God is the God of Israel and the priest is Aaron and the people are Israel. Okay, so you can always have opportunities. You just have to just do it through, do it through. And what, what, what did I speak? Aaron, ironic wrestling. The Lord bless you, give you peace. Make him, may make his face shine upon you. Okay, so God gives you opportunity. Remember, it's a short sword. With believers, it's a long sword. A short sword sometimes doesn't work. <laughs> long double-edged sword. So with believers, our messages may be an hour, an hour and a half. With unbelievers, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, it is enough. Okay, so that's what God is talking about. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Yahud prepared a double-edged dagger. He prepared. And he had planned it all out. Okay, Yahud made a dagger. It is a double-edged sword, a cubit in length, fastened its clothes on his on his right thigh. He had planned it all out. The question is, God gives you a vision. But have you planned it out? Have you planned it out? The problem is there is no planning. We should have planning. Once you know you got something in your hand, you have planning. You have LTD ministries. Did you plan it out for the year? Or are you caught by surprise? You know fees have to be paid. A lot of parents, I tell them, hey, hang on. What's your problem? You have one child. You have two children. You know school has to give peace, Right? Fees, right? How much is your fees this month? How much does you to save every month to pay the fees? Why are you every year caught by surprise? 
So it's not surprise, it's total indiscipline. If you knew, because I know what hardship is, but never ever caught by surprise, because you always plan. There are certain things which are inevitable in life, like fees and taxes. <laughs> you know it, how much it's going to be, and you have already factored it and put it away. You know, put it away. And people don't plan. People don't plan. No. <laughs> no, no. I just love it. Oh my God, because of mercy shows, and you don't call it a miracle. It was mercy. It is mercy. Okay? It is mercy. But God says, you know, you can, so I'm t- simply thinking about, do people plan it out? Do people plan it out? You know? People have to plan. God has given you a vision. Do you plan it out? He planned it out. He made it. He practiced it. Why did he make it? So it, it, I definitely am sure because a cubit is like around 45 inches. Okay? One and a half foot. Okay? So he's definitely a tall man, a big man. I Meaning he had big limbs. You know what? He has hidden it in the inside of his thigh. Okay? That means inside of your thigh, it means it's just above his knees. And he has practiced walking with it. Practice walking with it. He's, he's probably wearing his tunic, which is below his knees or whatever. He's practicing it one stroke. I have to take it and hit him. He's practicing it, practicing and walking with it, practicing it. He's got it all. It doesn't happen overnight like that. You practice it. You practice it. You practice it. You practice. That's what I used to do for that 10 minutes. I used to practice in my room. I wrote it down in points because you can't take a paper there. Okay. You can't take a paper there. Though people would come and read and go, I didn't want to take a paper. Practice it. Practice it. This is how it goes to be and practice it. How are you going to begin? How are you going to finish? These two things are important because this is something which I learned when I was in school, college. When you write an essay, your beginning and your end matters because most of them don't read the middle. But if a beginning is fantastic, your end is fantastic, he will swallow the middle. <laughs> okay. okay. If you have doubts, read the beginning, read the beginning and the end of every episode. Begins with a blessing, ends with a blessing. And in between is the tough things. But he catches your attention. And then closes with a blessing. Okay? So that's what he's practicing. He's practicing. He's practicing. He's practicing. So God says, do you practice? Do you practice? Do you practice? Because if you practice, he made himself a dagger. Does a double-edged and a cubit in length. And fasten it under his clothes on his right thigh. Okay, practice. First he is... Right hand is not functional. Second, it is left-handed. And when they come and search you, they search you like this. Nobody is thinking about somebody carrying a knife on the inside of your right thigh. Okay, there's no metal scanners or anything, no? But he's prepared. Okay, he's prepared. That's what the Bible says. What Ehud does does not make any sense to the world. Okay? Because God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And he not only uses foolish people, he uses foolish things also. Who could ever think a cubit long dagger in the hands of a left-handed man would bring down the oppression of 18 years? Who would ever think that a man hanging on a cross would destroy the oppression of mankind forever. Okay, that's why Paul says, we preach the cross, Christ crucified. Who would think about that? No way. You look in 
any religion of any age it doesn't it defies imagination all the gods have multiple hands and multiple heads and chariots and everything and even if it is not he is sitting in a somber pose meditation the only god who defies mankind's imagination and wisdom is hanging on a cross broken bleeding legs pierced hands pierced head of crown crown of thorns that's god's answer that's god's answer for your deliverance and my deliverance So Ehud is not a normal picture, but Ehud is a picture of Christ, a left-handed man, with a right hand which is probably withered, with a dagger strapped to the inside of his thigh. The Lord falls on him, and he goes with the tribute to pay to the enemy, and Israel's deliverance will begin. Amen. We'll stop there. Though there is more, we will stop there. So please understand this. My weakness is not an excuse. Yes. It is a reason to lean on the strength of God. Let me read something which I I was in the church office doing a wash in the morning. So deliverance is when we have been set free from the influence and the power of the flesh. Then only you can truly worship god and hear him there was a delivered man in the midst of oppression because he was a worshipper only delivered people can worship god we are delivered if you go i'll give you scripture i'll give you scripture because everything has to be prepared by scripture first peter chapter 2 and verse 9 You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. First he calls you out of darkness, into his light. Then only you can praise him. If you are living in darkness, you cannot praise him. You cannot worship him. Only when you have come to his liberating light, you are able to praise him and worship him. So you need to understand, Ehud was already free inside before he could deliver Israel. from the oppression that was outside that's why jesus said the blind cannot lead the blind the slave cannot lead the free slave cannot be lead the free so before moses can lead the slaves from bondage to deliverance he has to be set free first he has to be delivered first and that's final god's act put your hand on your bosom white leprous this is the state of your heart put it back again it's clean he says now you are set free you are delivered now all you need is my power take the rod go set my people free okay so god picks ehud who is free who's a worshipper who is free and then empowers him and says go and set my people free and deliverance begins and please remember we are all delivered to declare his praises and to deliver others understand that we will understand what ministry is now i'll invite my wife the wife of my right hand not left hand come do she is left handed <laughs> she is my yahud okay she is 
the wife of my right hand, but she's left-handed, by the way, she's left-handed, okay, for everybody who doesn't know, she's a lefty, and I have a little child in my house called Siri, who's a lefty, okay, so I have a, come, come, we shall pray, now it is your turn. Our usual joke is, I am the preacher, she is the prayer. (laughs) Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. I pray, Father, even as we come to your presence in prayer now, the right hand of God would rest upon us, Lord. It doesn't matter then what our weakness is. Our weakness becomes our strength. For in our weakness, your strength is magnified. Then people will know this is of God. The deliverance was wrought by God. Through man, yes, but by God. Moses was not fit to deliver because he was too strong at 40. But 80, he was so weak that the strength of God was perfected in him. And he went out with the shepherd's staff and he delivered Israel. And today, Father, you are raising up deliverers all around the world. Nobody sees them. Because they are not worthy of a second look of the world. They are weak men and women. They have parts of their life which are withered. They are left handed. But they are hidden. And they are forging weapons in the very fire of heaven. With which they will destroy the powers of darkness. They are being prepared. They are being forged. Nobody sees them. They will not be men and women of great caliber and renown and reputation. They will be simple men and women. And they will come out on the day. When everybody is waiting, the lot will fall on them. Anybody can cast the lot. But the decision is the Lord. In the church in Antioch, there were so many prophets and apostles and disciples. But on that day, the lot fell upon a man called Paul. And another called Barnabas. We didn't fall on the others. And after that we never hear about the others. It's about one man. A man nobody would have picked. And through the Bible we see that Lord. And I pray Father. We will prepare ourselves. In the dark. Hidden away from the eyes of the world. We will worship you when no one sees us. We will meditate on the word when no one sees We will pray when no one sees. We will sharpen the sword of the spirit. We can sharpen the sword. One day the spirit will come upon it. But help us to know our greatest enemy is our flesh. If we can put flesh to death, everything will start making sense. We will hear the voice of God. We will be able to praise God. We will be able to worship God. We will be able to serve God. We will be able to walk in victory every day. Our enemy is the flesh. That's why you sold Israel over to the flesh. The flesh ruled them for 18 years. When they needed deliverance, you needed a man who was weak in the flesh, but strong in the spirit. And Today I commit, Lord, this time of prayer, That people will learn to put to death the works of the flesh. Put to death the works of the flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that at the appointed time, when they step forward, 
they will bring deliverance in their church. They will bring deliverance in their towns, in their cities, and even their nations. For God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the wisdom of this world. Use your servant to pray now, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.